I'm going to jump into 2 Corinthians because we have a lot to cover today, but we're in chapter 3, and Paul, Paul loves his community. That, that's the whole thing. He loves his community, and uh, he's invested. He's traveling, 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 traveling. He's actually in uh, Macedonia at this time that he's writing this letter to them, and he's still trying to prove himself. Now... Let's, let's just get into it. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. You are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul Right here, saying, as a pastor, uh, I end up writing a lot of reference letters. You know, uh, kids need to get into college and National Honor Society, and some of you all need them for work references and things like that. So I'm constantly sending references out uh, for you and for others. And this is really what Paul is saying. He's like, do I have to prove myself to you, one, because there's false teachers that are coming in and maybe you don't trust me as a teacher? And at the same time, he's saying, do you need to send me recommendation letters about yourself? And he's saying, absolutely not. You don't need to send me anything because I hear about you. I hear about what you're doing. And it's obvious that the Spirit is working through you. There's no reason for you to send a recommendation letter, a reference letter on your behalf, because I know the Spirit of God is in you and doing an incredible work. So he's taking this paragraph, and he's, one, eliminating the false teachers, but he's encouraging them at the same time. That you need to know good things are being said about you, and I've heard about you, and I am thankful for you. This is what he's saying to them. Then he gets into verse 4. He says, Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills... But the Spirit gives life. See, the false teachers were actually coming, and they were standing and publicly saying, look how competent we are. We are more than qualified to be able to teach you about Jesus and about God. Yet they were twisting it. They were. People ask me about uh, Paul, like just like last week when he talked in chapter 2, about the opposition that he faced. He would come into town and he would say that you're free. You're free in Christ. You're free. You can, listen, you can do whatever you want to do. In this room, I'm telling you, you can do whatever you want to do. Most pastors are not going to say that to you because they want to control your behavior. They want their church body to do good things and to look good to the public. But I'm telling you in this very room right here, 
you are free to go out and do whatever you do. And there's a reason for that. It's because there is a spirit that lives inside of you, whether you know it or not. And that spirit speaks to you. And it's not my responsibility to be your spirit. I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. There's a spirit of God living inside of you that does that. And that's what makes me competent, and that's what makes you competent. Not based upon what I know, not based upon what I study, but based upon what is inside of you. If you figure that thing out, I don't have to worry about your behavior. Huh. So every Sunday, I come up here and say, there's a spirit of God living inside of you. Just listen to it. That means to obey. Obey means to listen. Listen to the Spirit. Just hear it. Sometimes hearing the Spirit is easy, but actually doing what the Spirit says is a little bit more difficult, right? So this is what Paul's saying to him. He's like, I don't have to prove myself. We're competent. These false teachers, you can look at them and you can see you can see that they're not necessarily doing things of the Spirit, and this is how you distinguish between a false teacher and my guys, Titus and Timothy. So he is challenging them in what they are hearing. And then all of a sudden he switches, and this is, this is the part that uh, I'm just excited about talking about. He talks about a new covenant ministry. Like he's literally changing the way ministry done is done from an old covenant to a new covenant. Paul's not contrasting a new covenant spirit as much as he is about how he does ministry right here. In verse 7 it says, Now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones came with glory so the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now, by comparison, because of the glory that surpasses it. Oh, this is so good. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will even be more glorious. Did you understand all that? Did you follow all that? Mm, probably not. But let's break it down here for a second. In secular Greek, the idea of glory, it, 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 even in English today, glory can mean many things. We go to glory. Uh, one day there's going to be glory when something happens. Uh, you can define glory in, in many different ways. But the way that Paul is referring to glory right here, I'm going to take you back a little bit to the Old Testament in Exodus. And this is what happened when he's referring to Moses. Let's go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai, he went up to Mount Sinai and he stood before the burning bush. Remember the burning bush? And what did the burning bush represent? It represented 
the glory of God. Moses was standing there barefoot on top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And he's standing in front of this burning bush that never was consumed because it was the glory of God. Moses was staring at the glory of God. Can you imagine that? It says, As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, and as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shown as a result of speaking with the Lord. I'm a redhead, and so like when I sit out in the sun for a while, my face just glows. It's always been that way. It's still that way. And I'm assuming this is what happened when Moses was standing. His face was just shining. It says, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skid of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's what you're supposed to do. He said, afterward, uh, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. He covered his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, He would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded, and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. Now, the word right there, kartego, is a Greek word, and this word is actually an ancient word that means to use up, to exhaust. When he covered his face, he abolished it, he set it aside, he got rid of it. Like he covered his face so that they could not see his face because obviously it was a concern to them. And so now Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, his face is shining because the glory of the Lord, he's been in the very presence and he was face to face. Every time he came to the Lord, He made sure that he took the veil off and he was face to face with God. And then when he would come down, so and not to scare people, he would put his mask on, not because of COVID or anything like that, but it's kind of the same thing. It would just kind of like cover up his face because, you know what, the glory, it says in our Bible, the glory was fading. It was fading as he... It's just like me and my sunburn. After three days, you know, it faded away. It's the same thing. But he didn't want them to see that it was fading, that it was disappearing. And so he covered it up with a veil. Now, this is all intriguing. And Paul goes back, obviously, to Exodus to explain the whole veil thing to him for a reason. Watch this. Verse 12. It says... Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We're we're not like Moses. We used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains." It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. 
Well, uh, let me focus on this for a second. But he says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when the old covenant is read, that same veil remains unmoved. Because it can only be made inoperative by Christ. He's the only one that can remove the veil. Now, let's think about this for a second. He's saying right here that the old covenant brought death. That the old covenant was the law. It brought condemnation. This is what you're supposed to do according to the Ten Commandments. This is what you're supposed to do according to the 613 laws that are in Leviticus. If you don't do these things, then you are wrong. You have set yourself apart from God. But the truth of the matter is, I was born with a sinful nature. I, no one taught me how to sin, right? Like, no one teaches a baby how to sin. You just, like, do it. I was born with a sinful... It was natural for me to sin. And what Paul is saying here is, this is the old covenant. So you're born with a veil across your face. At eight years old, at eight years old, I walked down the aisle of First Baptist Church, Tulsa, and I kneeled and I asked God to forgive me of my sins. I had no idea about a veil or anything like that at this point. I'm eight years old. I just knew that I needed a Savior, and I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And he did. It was at that very point that he removed the veil. What does that mean? I switched from an old covenant ministry of having to continually ask for forgiveness of sins to like, I asked one time. And he forgave me of all my sins. (laughs) At eight years old, at eight years old, he removed the mask. He took out my sinful nature, totally abolished it. I still sin, but it's not my nature. Got rid of my sinful nature, put a new heart in me and made me a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I am a new man. I still sin, but don't call me a sinner. That's not my identity. My identity is in Jesus. The veil has been removed. Oh, it's getting good. Just wait. Look at these last few verses right here. It says, verse 15, Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Hello? I mean, do you understand what just was read here? That moment that I 
was eight years old, and I didn't even figure this out till I was 37 years old, and today I'm still figuring out. But the mask was removed, my old heart was removed, it was replaced with a new heart, all that stuff, I was forgiven. I never have to ask for forgiveness again because he forgave me one time when he died on the cross. So I live in a state of forgiveness. So then, obviously, Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, he went and sat at the right hand of the Father, but they sent this spirit, this spirit of God that lives in me. This is the deal. You realize in the old covenant, in the temple, the only person that could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and he would do this once a year. He would literally wear a robe, he would wear a robe, and he would wear bells at the end of his robe, and then he would have a rope tied to his leg. Because he had to go in with, with all the sin confessed. And if there was still sin there, and he went in the Holy of Holies, which is where the Spirit lived in this place in Jerusalem, this temple, he would die. And if the bells quit jingling at the end of his robe, they would pull him out with a rope. Because no one else could go in. And the place that, the place that separated this Holy of Holies was this massive veil. This massive veil, and the high priest was the only one that could go in. The Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, literally he took his last breath. The earth shook, and this veil in the temple right down the street from Calvary where Jesus was dying on the cross was ripped from the top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. Who ripped the veil? God ripped the veil and said, no longer, no longer will we have the Holy of Holies because I'm sending the Spirit that was in the burning bush that was in the clouds and fire by night, that disappeared for a season, then showed up Christmas morning in Jesus. The glory of the Lord was in baby Jesus. Jesus died. Guess where the Spirit is? It's inside of you. The glory of God is in you. The veil has been removed. I'm face to face with God on a moment by moment basis. I don't have to go to the high priest to ask for forgiveness of sins. I don't have to do it on a yearly basis. I don't have to do it on a daily basis. I don't have to do it on a minute by minute basis. Because why? I am forgiven. When you see this face... You see the glory of God shining on this face. When I see these faces out here, I see the glory of God on these faces. Seeing the glory of God on your faces allows me to overlook your behavior. Hmm. And it allows me to hang out with you. Because you're beautiful and you smell good. 
there's an aroma about you that is just intriguing. And literally, when you go outside of here, when you go outside of here, you take it with you. You take the glory of God, you take the aroma of Christ, and you go out into the community, and I watch you. I don't need a letter of recommendation. I don't need a reference. I hear about what you're doing. I know that you are loving on people. This is the beauty of what the new covenant ministry is. And and Paul's just saying, you guys, look, here's the crazy thing is, if this letter was written around 52 AD and Jesus died somewhere around 30 AD, it's 22 years after Jesus has died that he's written this letter. And they're talking about Jesus and all these things. So the old covenant was abolished when Jesus died on the cross and the new covenant was ushered in. So the new covenant's only been around for like 20 years when this letter's written. So they're still struggling with the old covenant. How do we let go of the old covenant doing the law? Like I'm supposed to live by a spirit that's living inside of me. Well, now, you know, we're 2,000 years later and we're still having problems with that. We still want to live by the old covenant. Like... You have to obey the Ten Commandments. No, I'm saying this in church. You don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. Why do you not have to obey the Ten Commandments? Because the Spirit of God is living inside of you, and He's telling you how to live your life. In fact, He says, let me live your life for you. If you're going to screw it up, just let me do it. I'll do it for you. Just relax. Just chill out. Just rest. Just breathe. Just breathe. I got you. Paul spends his whole ministry, spends his whole ministry trying to set people free from the old covenant. Yet he's got these Judaizers and false teachers that are coming in the background saying, nope, you still need to be circumcised. Nope, you still have to follow the Ten Commandments. Nope, Paul's not a true apostle. When it says that there was a thorn in Paul's side, everybody thinks it's some kind of sin that he couldn't relieve himself of. I think it was these Judaizers and these false teachers that were falling behind him and negating everything that he was trying to tell the people. It just makes sense to me that that's what it was. Like if you sit here and hear this message to get today and you go listen to some podcast and they're telling you to like get up in the morning and have your prayer time and you pray this way and you pray this way and tell you all these things to do. That's frustrating to me. It sounds good. I mean, it sounds good, right? It sounds good. It sounds like that's something you should do. But what if you just say, hey, listen to the Spirit. He'll tell you when to pray. He'll tell you what to pray. He'll even pray for you. You can just sit there and groan. Because <laughs> he'll take care of you. That's the, that's the beauty of this. And we as believers and we as the church are like totally missing this thing. The veil has been removed so that you can have full access to God the Father on a moment by moment basis. What does this do to you as parents? I'm a parent, so I can say this. When you see the glory of God in your own child. How how do you respond to their behavior? 
I have to think about that. Like, if I want them to respond to me like I have the glory of God in me, I have to think about, man, my, my child's got the glory of God in her. How, how do I respond to her? How do I, oh, wow. My wife, the glory of God in her. That was the realization for me, is I had to understand it for myself first. And then I roll over in bed. And I'm sleeping with the glory of God. <laughs> it, it changes things, people. It, just the whole, if you can understand what he's done for you, it changes everything that you do. I promise you. There's absolute freedom. You are free to do whatever you want to do because I believe there's the glory of God inside of you. This is Thanksgiving week. You know me and my holidays. I'm not, like if this is the only week that we're supposed to give thanks, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, I'm thankful every day for what Jesus has done for me. Every day is Christmas. Jesus was born. Every day is Easter. He died. He rose again. He lives inside of me every day. So today we celebrate, we're going to celebrate uh, what Jesus has done. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. You see, what, what happened was, before all this occurred, before all this occurred, Jesus dying on the cross, he met with his disciples one last time in the upper room in Jerusalem. And they were having the Passover meal. They were having the Passover meal. And here's the cool thing is, is Jesus knew that he was about to die. And the disciples were freaking out and he's trying to comfort them. If you go back and read John chapters 14 through 17, he has this whole conversation with them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If I was them, I'd still be freaking out. No matter, you know how it is. You can, you can hear him say, it's going to be okay. All right. So what he does is he actually takes the bread. He takes the bread on the table and the, the elements that are there on the table. And he has this one last supper with them. And this is what we're going to do today. Now, here's what you have to understand about this. I've gone to church all my life where they said, Hey, you have to ask for forgiveness before you do this. You have to make sure that you're, trust me, you're good. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're good. You're good for this. I'm remembering here this morning because of what he's done with the forgiveness thing. And so, as much as you want to like mourn why you do this, that Jesus died, I'm telling you, it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate what Jesus did because he gave us life. So they're passing out the bread right now. We'll let them do that, and then we'll come right back here. Just hold on to it for a second, just the bread, and we'll take it together. Did we miss anybody? Everybody got it? Did you get some over here? Uh, So Jesus took the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. 
the body never was like no bones were broken, but obviously the body was pierced. And he died. And it was because of his death. His death had to occur so that we could have life. He rose again from the dead. He physically rose from the dead so that we could have life. He said, my body is broken for you, that you could have life, that you could walk here in 2021 with the glory of God and live life and live it gloriously. And so today, we take this bread in remembrance of his body broken for us. Jesus, we trust you. We thank you for your life and all that you are to us. In Jesus' name. And then he took the cup. There was a, a cup there as part of the Passover. They actually had steps that they went through in this Passover meal. And this was one of the steps was the sacrifice. The sacrifice. So there was wine there. We don't have wine today. You have like cran juice or something. But today uh, you're going to receive a cup. Just take the cup from them and they'll pour you a, a little portion of juice here and then we will take it together you know I've got people that are watching on YouTube or whatever Uh, uh, they may not understand anything that I've said today and you in this room may have not understood anything that I've said today. All may seem kind of wacky that there's a spirit living inside of you, that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us. That may seem a little wacky. Uh, but I will tell you this. I've come to understand that truth, and I believe it with all my heart. I believe that there's a living God inside of me that talks to me and has a relationship with me. And even when I'm blowing it, even when I'm making bad decisions, he's smiling down on me. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he took the cup. He says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. The blood had life in it, had life. And it was the sacrifice system that was set up by God. And not the blood of bulls and goats that forgave sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ that forgave sins. So when his blood was poured out on the cross, it forgave all sins. Before you were even born, it forgave you of all your sins. You just had to believe. You just had to believe. And the thing is, he knew up on the cross, he knew you. He knew what you'd done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And he's like, I got you. I got you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Hmm. I have a few things to be thankful for uh, this week. Uh, one, my wife will be coming home 
um, from Tulsa. She's taking care of her parents right now. But uh, to me, this is it. Like, the whole glory of God thing right here in this room, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for uh, just doing life with you, how messy it is, but how glorious it is. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm thankful that you are here today, and I pray that you have a great week this week.